0: Just the Cure, open wide, and prepare for steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep,
2: live around the world on the internet at michaeldukeshow.com, where you'll find links to the audio-only stream... Links to the podcast, links to our social media sites where we simulcast the radio show every morning on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, and, uh, well, all the stuff you need to know about me, the show, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Good morning, <clears throat> and welcome to Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. It is the deep dive day where we get a chance to uh, kind of get into the weeds a little bit on some of the different issues surrounding the state. Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets will be joining us here shortly this morning to discuss uh, this and more. We've got three big topics for you today including, oh, baby, including the fact that there will be no, I repeat, no special session this year to talk about all the stuff that was left hanging from the last session, the Kabuki Theater that is the Alaska Natural Gas Line Project, and the fact that the Permanent Fund Corporation is opening an office in Anchorage, and that doesn't sit well with some people. And Brad will get into some of the details of his thoughts on that as well here in just a hot minute. In Hour 2... We'll recap some of the things that I come away with from Brad's discussion, and then we will be joined by Chris Story, the man from Homer, who will come in for our weekly life coaching lesson. That's right. We need it. We need a little bit of pick-me-up. We need a little bit of, after the beatings from Brad will continue, we will then get the positivity boost from Chris. Put some salve and some bandages on from the hot truth bomb that's going to be dropped in hour one. Uh, I don't know what Chris's topic is going to be today, but it's always, it's always good. It's always good. So I hope you stick around for that and enjoy it with us as well. Uh, Just another beautiful day in paradise. Pfft. foggy rainy it's like a walk in the clouds up here uh where i'm at it's uh it's kind of crazy but uh well hopefully we get a little bit more summer before we get too far along here all right. Well, we're going to get kicked off a little earlier than normal this morning. I, you know, I always hate uh, when I run up uh, against the clock with Brad when we're running out of time and we end up compressing everything. So I thought we'd try something a little bit different today and maybe give him a little bit more time where we can sit down and kind of go through all three topics, maybe one topic per segment. And uh, Brad has been kind enough to uh, join us this morning a wee bit earlier than he normally does. Uh, I see him here in the chat room this morning, or in the uh, green room, so let's uh, jump over there right now and see what he has to say as uh, we get things kicked off. Good morning, my friend. Are you bright-eyed and bushy-tailed? Are you ready to go? (sighs)
1: good morning michael i usually have one more jolt of coffee before we hit it at I, 6.20, but i'm ready to go i, I know I, I hit you a little early. i just always hate squeezing into that last segment
2: we always just seem to get so squeezed so i thought maybe i didn't talk to you about it i just you know i made an executive <laughs> i made an executive decision and said maybe i'll ask him just to come on a little bit early this morning it'll spread us out just a little bit more um you know brad when you pick up these three topics every week uh i don't know if there's a rhyme or reason to it some people you know may have questions or whatever But it's always interesting stuff. It's always something that, uh, uh, you know, that uh, I had not maybe not been thinking of from a certain perspective. And, of course, you bring your oil and gas perspective to it. But let's get started this morning on this uh, topic of the special session, because we kept hearing that, oh, there has to be a special session before the next uh, before the next one, because we got so many unanswered questions and so many things going on and so many. But now it looks like there will be no special session. Uh, Jeff Landfield over at the Landmine wrote about this on Sunday. What is, um, what what's going on here? Give us your take on what's happening here.
1: Well, uh, Jeff wrote a, a piece. Uh, you, you you can sort of see this coming uh, in terms of, of what the governor was doing or not doing in terms of preparing for a special session. Um, and there was the fact that during the vetoes uh, that he did of the FY24 budget, he vetoed out the the, the the appropriation to cover the cost of the special session, which was sort of a big hint uh, about this. But he had made a lot uh, during his infrequent press re- press conferences during the session about resolving the fiscal issue um, and had gone so far as to say that he was going to propose a sales tax. He was prepared to propose a sales tax and uh, was pushing forward and, and said that he would push forward with a special session if it wasn't revolved, resolved, if the issue wasn't resolved during the regular session. Um, to pick up Jeff's reporting on this, uh, and this is from the Sunday landmine, for those of you who are interested, to pick up Jeff's reporting on, on this, he says, but since, since, uh, since the, the regular session, then the price of oil has been steadily rising, hitting $90 a barrel today. That was Thursday of last week. The first time it's reached that price since November 22nd, and significant disagreement remains between the House and the Senate on what kind of fiscal reforms are needed. Leaders of both bodies told the Alaska Political Report, that's Jeff's publication, that there is now little to no desire for a fall special session. While Dunleavy floated the the idea of a special session earlier this year, a a senior official from his administration told us, the governor is not going to call a special session if the legislature does not want to do it. (laughs) <laughs> Ted Levy also vetoed money from the budget that would have paid for a special session, uh, though it still uh, could be funded in the supplemental budget. So uh, basically, uh, Jeff's reporting, and I and I've heard the same thing independently. Jeff's reporting is that the administration uh, really has no desire to go into a special session now. Oil prices are up. It looks like the uh, the FY24 budget will uh, will uh, be funded. Um, and, um, uh, and they're just gonna gonna let it ride for another session. The, the, pro, the, the, the advantage of the special session this year was that it was outside of a, an election year and there was a hope, um, uh, maybe misguided, but the hope that legislators would be more responsible. They would look more long-term. They would, uh, be more, uh, susceptible to finding compromise in the same way that the that the that the fiscal policy working group did a few years ago, that they would be more uh, uh, prone to find a compromise to resolve the fiscal situation in a non-election year. If you don't call a special session this year, you push the issue into next year, uh, into the next uh, uh, legislative session, and uh, and it'll be an election year, and nobody and nobody will want to move on. Uh, everybody will be going to their. To the barricades, to the mattresses, uh, on on their issues, on fiscal issues, and nobody will want right. to be seen as as compromising. So, that's that's the loss of not going into uh, not going into a special session this year. There there is one thing that that really strikes me about this. Alaska is often said to have the strongest governor, uh, the strongest powers for a governor of any state in the nation. And that's that's in part, largely in part, because of the governor's line item veto uh, powers. In in as number one, number two, that it takes four fifths of the legislature to override um, uh, a veto on on appropriations. Uh, so it gives the governor a a the the view is it gives the governor a very strong hand with respect to, especially with respect to fiscal issues. This governor has demonstrated that it's that it's a weak hand. Uh, at least he's playing it, uh, playing these strong powers as a weak hand. Um, the because of the way in which the PFD arises, it's a as as decided by the Supreme Court in 2017, it's an, it's a legislative appropriation, and because the governor can't raise legislative appropriations when the legislature short run, shortfalls the uh, the PFD, the governor really can't. Do anything about it directly. Now, a lot of people have pointed out that that other governors, strong governors, uh, would have vetoed uh, the budget and said, "Look, if you're not going to include the PFD, you're not. We're not. We're not finished yet. We're going to go back. We're going to redo the budget, and we're going to have a PFD in it." Others have pointed out that he could be selective in his vetoes and punish those legislators that uh, vote for uh, vote for PFD cuts. That there are that the governor. Has the power to be a strong governor with respect, even to the PFD. Uh, but this governor has played has played those cards weekly. Um, weakly, w e a k l y. But almost ha, has, but almost both almost both ways. Yeah, ha, has has played those cards. Uh, uh, the cards he has he has dealt. If he really believes in the PFD, the governor has played those cards poorly. And uh, played those powers poorly. And this, the failure to call another special, uh, the failure to call a special session, to lead on a special session, and to call a special session, I think is just another demonstration of how weak he has, uh, he has chosen to, to play those cards. To, to, to defer, essentially to say, I'm not going to call a special session, I'm not going to try to lead if the legislature doesn't want to do it. Is to essentially say, nah, legislature, you get to control this stuff." I mean, legisl- if you don't want to do it, that's fine. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do it, and um, and so we won't do it. And that's—it's um, disappointing. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I again, I think this is almost
2: more at this point a commentary on the governor's overall performance than it is specifically on this one issue. This is just a microcosm of what the governor has been doing pretty much the last three years. I mean, he came out running strong. And it seems like he got, you know, whacked and spanked pretty hard. And now he's been kind of like a whipped puppy the whole time. I mean, he ran on this platform of standing tall for Alaska and he's going to do the PFD. But at every opportunity where he had the chance to take a stand and to stand tall and to make some things. I mean, you were just talking about vetoing the whole budget or portions of the budgets, forcing them back to the table. He's not willing to do that. And again, I'm not quite sure why. I mean this is a lame duck session for him. He's uh he doesn't have anything else to do. I mean he, he may have higher aspirations, but if you were going to take a stand, you should, you know, you could rally your base here for the strong pro PFD crowd and really put some, you know, really put some work in and nothing nothing seems to be happening. And and again, offering a sales tax, you know, saying he's going to offer a sales tax and then actually never doing anything, saying that these things are going to happen and then backing back up. I mean this is i mean, is is this not, in your mind, an example of extremely
1: weak leadership? Well, it is. I mean, he's 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 playing. He's playing those cards weekly. i mean, we 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 talked at the time of the election. We talked uh, at the time the governor was reelected. We talked about the governor having an opportunity, the Governor being at a fork in the road, right? He could either go for a legacy like Hammond and and fight for the things he believed in, use the powers that the Alaska constitution gives the governor, uh, fight for the things he believes in to try to carve a legacy out. Or he could just continue to go along to get along and try to position himself as, you know, somebody who talks a lot about federal issues, for example, as he does, um, uh, and try to position himself for a Senate run uh, somewhere down the road. Um, and it looks like, in all honesty, it looks like he's chosen the second course. I mean, he's trying to he's trying to to avoid creating controversy um, uh, uh, even among his base um, and just push for uh, just push to to get through the session, complain a lot about the federal overreach, you know file suits against the federal government. But when it comes to things that are really matter to Alaska families, like the PFD, just sort of you know just sort of let it go just sort of roll over and and play dead and it's um and that's and that's the course he's chosen so I, if if the legislature is not going to call itself into special session if the governor doesn't call itself into special session then you know we're just going to roll into an election year um and and we're not going to solve this issue next year either i mean oil prices are going to be up or oil prices are going to be down even if they're down even if it looks like we're hitting another crisis, another funding crisis, uh, the legislature is not gonna solve this issue in an election year. And so he's really got, I mean, he's passing up the next to last chance he has to really help resolve this issue by pushing on the legislature during a non-election year to to come finally to grips with the fiscal situation we're in. Here's, I mean, it. it one other thing has become apparent during this entire process, and that is to resolve the PFD issue, because because we haven't gotten spending under control, to resolve the PFD issue, there's going to have to be some tax involved, um, it, some tax to pay for government and take the place of the PFD tax uh, that we've been using to to pay for government. There's a great case for doing that. I mean, it, it, there's a it, it has would have the tax would have a lower impact on middle and lower income Alaska families. It would have a lower impact on the Alaska economy than than PFD cuts are having. I mean, we talk about there's a bunch of stuff in the papers about, you know, Alaska wages going down, Alaska becoming a poorer state. Well, part of that's because we've been cutting the PFD. and And there's a great case to be to be made for let's get the PFD resolved. Yes, we're going to have to pay taxes for part of government, but frankly, that will act as a break on the size and scope of government because once you engage the top twenty percent in paying taxes, they'll push back on government spending the same way that everybody else has tried to. There's a great case to be to be made for, you know, in, for replacing for substitute taxes in place of PFd cuts now that we're at this point where we haven't cut spending. but but the governor seems to want to avoid doing that. So, Another another opportunity uh, uh, is passing us by. Yeah, it's crazy stuff. All right, we're going to move on to number two of
2: the weekly top three, which is going to be the Kabuki Theater of AKLNG. Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We return with more right after this.
0: Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show, because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show.
2: Okay, Brad Keithley, our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Um, you know, <clears throat> Brad, I mean, I, I, I hate to be that guy sometimes, but. This is what I was concerned about coming into this, you know, in the last election for governor, uh, was the prior performance of Mike Dunleavy in this kind of just absenteeism. I mean, it's just like he's not there. He's not engaging with the public. He's not participating. I mean, he released his vetoes without even a presser where he's, I mean, supposedly supposed to answer questions as to why he did certain things, you know, according to uh, the law and the Constitution. And he basically just sent it out with a press release and said, here's my vetoes. Um, There is like there's like zero engagement with the governor and the public or pretty much anybody else at this time. And this is, uh, you know, I, I think this is indicative of a larger problem. But I mean, this is this is it. This is the core issue, isn't it?
1: Yeah, he uh, well, from a fiscal standpoint, this is the core issue. The PFD is the core yeah. issue. Resolving the PFD is is key to the state budget. It's key to the state economy. It's key to the impact of, of 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 state government on Alaska families from a fiscal standpoint, and it is the key issue. And he just he just doesn't want to face up to it. I mean, it's it it. He tried. He tried. Uh, we need to give him that that in twenty eighteen when he came in. Or 2019, when he came in that first session, he tried to to, to reduce the cost of government, and the blowback from that, uh, I think, scarred him, um, and has continued to scar, continued to affect the course of of his administration ever since, both in the the remainder of the first administration the first term, and now uh, now into the second term. Um, he doesn't like to engage on issues. He doesn't like to engage with reporters. He doesn't like to explain himself. He just sort of likes to do it and go on. It, it is, sometimes it reminds me of 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 a different system of government, a, a king and a prime minister, right? The, the king sort of sits in the castle and occasionally says stuff, um, and the prime minister is the one who really runs the government. Well, in this case, on fiscal issues, I mean, Bert's really the prime minister. I mean, Bert's really running the, the, the fiscal function of the government and, and Dunleavy is just letting him. And it's a waste. It's a waste of the powers that the governor has. It's a waste of of the of the constitutional role uh, that that the Alaska Constitution creates uh, for our governor. We the, the founders wanted a strong governor. The founders gave the governor powers to to direct the state. Um, and he's just sort of, you know, he's just sort of let him, let, letting those uh, atrophy. Uh, during his term during his term as governor so i it's it's disappointing it's um it's it's leaving an adverse impact on the alaska economy it's leaving an adverse impact on alaska families um and i don't think it will serve him well uh if he if he has desires for additional office and if he runs for additional office i think you know people are going to bring up the fact that he didn't do what he said he would do during his terms in office. But, but yeah,
2: well, I would. that's what he's
1: chosen to do. I
2: agree with that. And I think some of the listeners agree. Terry says with his performance as a governor, I would not vote for him in another position. Um, I mean, I think that's a, that's a valid point. I mean, if you're not going to stand tall for the things that you ran on as a governor, why would I want to vote for you for any additional offices that, you know, if you, you know, if you can't, even because, again, it's not like he fought and lost. It's like he's not even fighting for it. That's the worst part of this whole thing. Um And, yeah, if he wanted, if he was so scarred from the first go around in 2018, 2019, why would you run for governor
1: again at that point? And, and he's leaving. He's leaving legislators dangling. Yeah. I mean, uh Ben Carpenter, if I were Ben Carpenter, I'd be a little a little upset. About what's happened. I mean, Ben got out there on the sales tax. Ben pushed the sales tax. he Ben was a member of the the fiscal study working group trying to resolve this issue. And the governor's just sort of left him dangling out there. Um, and I, I i'm not I'm not sure how legislators are going to react to, you know, the governor continuing to just sort of, you know, leaving them out there drifting around,
2: yeah. it's uh, I mean, disappointing to say the least right now as to what's going on. It's very disappointing. and um, we had hoped to see him, especially in a lame duck session, be able to do more. Wasted opportunities is what Donna says, and I would agree with that. All right, here we go. We're going to jump back into it. The Michael Duke Show, common sense,
0: liberty-based. Good radio. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh Michael Duke Show. Back with more Brad Keithley, Alaskans for
2: Sustainable Budgets, uh, bringing, on, bringing the pain on this Tuesday of the truth bomb. Uh, just talking about the governor and uh, the, uh, I mean, lack of uh, fortitude and standing tall for Alaskans on the PFD in the special session issue. But now we move over to the latest, the Kabuki Theater that is the Alaska Natural Gas Pipeline. Uh, And we've talked about this in the past, AKLNG uh, now, of course, making headlines, the latest article here from last week, talking about conservation groups now suing to stop the Alaska LNG project. And Brad, you say this is all basically Kabuki theater at this point. It is, Michael.
1: the, the, The one headline that had some significance from last week about the AKLNG project wasn't about the AKLNG project. The headline was LNG Japan, which is a consortium of, of Japanese uh, LNG purchasers, buyers, buys 10% stake in Australia, Australian natural gas project. And, and that reports on uh, uh, one of the Australian projects had uh, the owner was, was, was looking for end users to become part of the consortium that, uh, uh, part of their LNG consortium. That's what producers, uh, LNG producers, try to do. They try to get end users locked in as an a part owner of the project because once the end u- users locked in as a part equity owner of the project, they're much less likely to, you know, try to avoid um, uh, the purchase contracts uh, uh, if they if they start going going bad because it would affect their equity position. So you you try to get you try to get your end users in as part of the it's part of the equity, part of the ownership of a, of a project. And, and one of the Australian natural gas projects got LNG Japan, a, a significant uh, participant in, um, uh, in, in LNG purchases in Japan, uh, to buy a 10%, 10 stake uh, in their project. Uh, it doesn't read LNG Japan buys 10% stake in Alaska natural gas project. Uh, Alaska has been marketing theirs for forever. Uh, It reads 10% stake in Australian Natural Gas Project. And that's and that I think is is the most significant uh, headline from uh, uh, from the week. It demonstrates, I think, that what what Japan's doing with the Alaska project is using it as a stalking horse, using it as a negotiating tool, using it as leverage that if you don't, if you if if. You know, if you don't sell, if you don't do what I want you to do on on your project, I can always go back to Alaska and look. You right, know, Rahm Emanuel and and the Biden administration are trying to push me to Alaska anyway. Um, I th- I think it demonstrates this sort of activity demonstrates that 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 Japan's re- and others are really using Alaska as a as a stocking horse. But but that doesn't mean <laughs> that doesn't mean the LNG project doesn't have it any use um the headline in the in the anchorage daily news that you referenced conservation groups sued to stop lng project uh a couple of uh of, of conservation groups the sierra club and center for biological diversity uh, uh filed suit against the department of energy about a department of energy decision to approve exports from the lng project uh their claim is that the uh, department of energy had not fully assessed uh, the climate environmental harms So if the project's really, if the project's really not a real project, I mean, if it's just a stalking horse, why are the, why are the environmental groups um, uh, suing on it? And the answer is probably fundraising. Uh, the answer probably yeah, I was is just going to say they're probably using
2: me as a stocking horse as well to raise so i mean we're the whole thing we're just the <laughs> puppet for everybody around us at this point right
1: yeah I, you know it's it, that that sort of that sort of is is what become is, is what sort of turns out to be the case i mean the we're we're the alaskans are trying to push the project but nobody else really believes in the project but they want to use it for their own particular purpose um, I think with uh, with the Willow decision, the Biden administration's Willow decision um, uh, and the and the loss to the to the environmental groups, and the conservation groups there, uh, they want to keep the Alaska issue alive. And and oh, here's another Alaska project. And here's another federal approval that, that another Alaska project got. So let's go after that and let's tell our, you know, tell our contributors and tell our supporters that, hey, we're still going after alaska project so i the whole thing about lng increasingly to me is becoming kabuki theater it's becoming you know people people sort of shadow puppeting uh, uh, moves that really don't have to do with really don't have to do with alaska lng um uh, but using it for their own purpose the japanese using it for the purpose of of making it a stalking horse in their negotiations with with other purchasers, the environmental groups, making it a, a stalking horse uh, uh, in in their fundraising efforts and in their efforts to show that they're out there, you know, defending defending the environment. And the poor LNG project just sort of continues to spin on with uh, without making any real progress. I mean, it, it's possible at some point, you know, they're gonna have an announcement that says, hey, Japan buys a portion of the Alaska LNG project. And if that ever comes to pass, if that headline ever reads, uh lng japan buys 10 percent stake in alaska if that headline ever reads uh buys a stake in alaska natural gas project then then we're going to be talking about something that may have become real but until that happens uh i don't think yeah I, I i don't think we're 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 just sort of spinning our, our wheels in right. the mud here and i don't i don't think we're really making any. well and there's really a third group that's uh
2: again using it as a stocking horse or as a money generation machine and that is of course all the entities that are surrounding this the non-governmental or quasi-governmental agencies that are that are spinning around this soaking up the money Uh, i mean there have been millions and millions of dollars of public funds that have been expended over the last 30 years that i've been covering the issue of aklng that has been you know oh, we're going to study it or we're going to do this or we're going to create a a working group or we're going to create a a port authority or we're going to do something, and they have consumed millions of dollars over the last 30 years at studying it or or trying to pursue it or do whatever, that's a third group that's out there making a living, essentially, off pushing a quasi-sentient project forward. I mean, that's what's happening right now.
1: Oh, yeah, it's... it's... It's millions, it's hundreds of millions and billions probably uh, by now, if you go all the way back to the original, uh, uh, the original start of the project. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you think makes sense, right? There's a lot of natural gas in the world, or there's, there's a lot of natural gas up on the North slope. There's a demand for natural gas in the world. And you would think that it makes sense to link one plus the other. But every time, every time LNG sort of, every time the Alaska project sort of gets close, Something happens in the marketplace. I mean, we were sort of we were sort of close in the mid 2000s, 2006, 2007. Murkowski had 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 pressed forward on the negotiations with the producers, um, and then Palin came in and sort of broke the back of that and wanted to go a different direction. But that, but at the time, the market in the lower 48 looked like it was going to be gas short, and the Alaska project suddenly uh, made sense again. But then we had shale gas, then we had the shale revolution in the lower 48, beginning in about 2008. Uh, and shale gas suddenly became prevalent in the lower 48. We have, we, we now have, you know, we have Japan that's trying to get off uh, uh, other sources of supply for energy. We have Europe that got shut down by uh, uh, Russia or shut itself off from Russia in response to the Ukraine war. All those sort of things make you think, okay, there's gonna be an increased global demand again. Problem is there's a lot of global suppliers. I mean, the, there's Australia, there's Mozambique, there's Abu Dhabi, there's Qatar, there's, you know, the list goes on and on and on of, of LNG suppliers. And sort of just like happened in the mid 2000s when shale gas exploded in the lower 48 and sort of destroyed the market for for Alaska gas down in the lower 48, We've had this explosion of LNG supplies, LNG opportunities uh, globally that are much better positioned and, and much more economic than, than Alaska. Doesn't mean Alaska doesn't have a use. I mean, the, the, the Japanese are using it as a stocking horse. The, enviro- the environmental groups are using it as a stocking horse. And you're right. You know, the, the study and the studies industry is using it as a reason to sort of continue on with all the studies. But it's not it's not progressing the the project forward and in all reality, when you look particularly at this headline and look at the details of the of the agreement between uh, LNG Japan and the Australians last uh, last week, um, it's just not it's it's not a realistic project that's a that's a that, that's staying together for much more. It's much more kabuki theater.
2: From your perspective as an oil and gas guy, I mean, oil and gas attorney and being part of a lot of these deals and and seeing this from you know from start to finish, uh, you know, is there a path forward for Alaskan? because you talk about, You know, the market conditions, all of a sudden, oh, market conditions are right for Alaska, it's good, we start talking about it, and then six months later, the market conditions change. But we know there's this long tail in building out anything that has to do with that. So is there any path forward for Alaskan gas to actually come to fruition where somebody realizes – yeah, I mean the market conditions may be perfect today, or they may not be perfect today. But we know that in the future, this is going to be necessary, so we're going to commit to it. I mean, is there a path forward for Alaska natural gas?
1: Not, not in the, not in the free market, not in the, not in the, in the capitalist system. Um, the only path forward for Alaska natural gas, and I think Lisa recognizes this, and I think others have recognized this. The only path forward is huge government subsidies. <laughs> Uh, that that support the project and uh, and make the project economics work because the private sector isn't really having to pay for it. Government's going to have to pay, government's paying for it, and and I think that truly, if if Alaska LNG would ever go forward, it would be on the backs of government funding uh, as opposed to on the backs of uh, on the backs of private sector contracts and private sector funding. So that's where it is. I you know, and you and I. You know, think that's abhorrent that that we don't want the, the government interfering. We don't, want, even though it would be good for Alaska, maybe, sort of in the short run. We don't want the government funding these sorts of projects. If the private sector doesn't think a project's worthwhile, then it shouldn't be done. Uh, but that's, I mean, there are gonna there are gonna be people, including the the studies industry that that you talked about a moment ago. They're gonna be people who continue to push forward for that. And say, oh, you know, it's important for Alaska to have this project. It's important for the world to have this project. It's another source of, you know, uh, free world supply to Japan, gets them all, gets away from Russian supply. Um, so it's important for the for the free world to have that. But the only way it goes, I mean, y- you look you look around the world at the LNG projects that are progressing and the amount of supply that's coming forward, and there's really not a place for Alaska. And 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 so you look around the world and you say, It's not gonna happen. And then you know people who want it to happen just keep pressing forward with, with more and more government funding. That's, that's the success, right success story for, for Alaska LNG to have the government, well, pay for the dam. So we're sitting
2: on 17 trillion cubic feet of gas, and we can't do anything with it. And uh, it's a you know, maybe down the road, uh, maybe years from now, maybe it will eventually come to fruition, but not looking forward here in the short term
1: we're looking at we're, we're sitting on 23 trillion cubic feet of gas but it's 700 miles from market <laughs> yeah and, exactly and, yeah and it's and you know somebody who somebody talks about oh you know someday the bearing will meld enough that we'll be able to get it out uh by barge maybe uh but it's um it, it's not it, it it's not an economic project and the other the other problem i mean that that people talk about now is the window is closing for lng projects that that you know solar and and other renewable sources of energy are coming on strong and so the window is closing for high, for the hydrocarbon market and it takes a long time to pay these things out even if the government funds it it takes a long time for to pay these things out so right the window the window of opportunity for the project seems to be closing as well Uh, Brad Keithley,
2: Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. That's number two. Number three is going to be a discussion on the new Permanent Fund Corporation office that they're talking about opening in Anchorage. Looks like it's a go. And we will talk about the pros and cons of that and some of the infighting that appears to be happening as well on this. We will uh, continue in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense. Liberty-based. Free Thinking Radio. Brad Keithley, our guest, back with more right after
1: this.
0: If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
2: Brad Keithley, our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. I mean, I know they've talked about, uh, you know, liquefaction, shipping it via LNG containers from the North Slope. I know that they're, you know, they're they're going to be trucking some gas down to Hillcorp's building a liquefaction plant on the North Slope to truck it to Fairbanks and things like that. I mean, it's just kind of a crime that here in Alaska, we could potentially be importing LNG down in South Central because we just can't get our poop in a group and can't make it work out to get our own gas 700 miles away. We ship it 7,000 miles
1: away over the ocean and
2: it's cheaper than it is bringing it out of our own backyard.
1: It is, Michael, but it's expensive to, to you know, to build the pipeline. It's, a, it's expensive to build the kit uh, uh, to do it. So yeah, the economics, I mean, the economics ought to rule, right? If we can get gas cheaper by bringing it up from British Columbia, from an LNG plant in British Columbia. Can get gas cheaper than we can by then we can by investing in a pipeline and bring it down from the slope. Then we ought to do that. I mean, wh- why why should we punish the Alaska economy by forcing it to pay more uh, to support uh, uh, an LNG pro an Alaska LNG project when the Alaska economy can have lower energy costs by bringing it in, by bringing it in from someplace else? I mean, it's it's the economics the economics should should control the situation. It's it's um it is unfortunate in in a philosophical sense yes we ought to be able to use our own good our own resources to supply ourselves but if the economics don't support it we ought we 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 shouldn't do that we shouldn't you know build a a pipeline just because you know we want to we want to find a use for our own gas we right we we should let the economics control the situation is
2: is there something economical long long term or is it just not i mean where you know once it's built, then it becomes over the course of a fifty-year term, it becomes better and and sustainable. Or uh, again, that's going to all require a massive amount
1: of government-infused money to make it work. It's going to require a massive amount of government-infused money. If there was if there was an economic if there was an economic case for alaska lng where it made money over the long term you would be able to find investors to do it the state's done a the state's done the right thing i think uh of of trying to to get the project up and and showing what the project could be showing what the kit that would be required showing how you would how you would you know extract the gas? How you would get the gas to tidewater? How you would get it on LNG? I think that I think the state probably has done a good has has done a, a useful job of showing how you would use the resource, but the next step of of the economics of, of then using it, finding the economics of, of using it, um, uh, I, I mean that's just a massive amount of money. It, it is you know forty billion dollars. Let's see when did they do that estimate back in 2020 maybe 2019 well no it was before covid so anyway a massive amount of money 40 billion dollars probably 50 60 billion dollars with inflation uh, now uh, a massive amount of money to you know to 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 do the project just keep it's almost the size of the permanent fund right i mean 60 billion 40 to 60 billion dollars is almost the size of the permanent fund it would take the permanent fund in terms of money to 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 build this project and that's just that's a huge investment so if there was if there was a case for how that played out and how you made money over the long term i think a consortium of private investors would have would have come together and 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 made it reality but there there just isn't i mean it's it's compared to alternatives compared right, to right. the alternative of what's going on in canada gulf coast elsewhere in the world it just doesn't make economic sense. So we remain
2: a land bank for now. And uh, and
1: maybe one day the metrics
2: work out. But uh, maybe technology increases, maybe demand or maybe supply drops somewhere else. Maybe other basins are exhausted and we look, you know, maybe that's what it is. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to see and frustrating to a point because we are a resource rich state. And when we can't access our own resources to utilize them here, let alone sell them somewhere else definitely a frustrating combination
1: for sure i'll i'll absolutely agree with that it is it is frustrating i mean you see you see a bunch of gas you see a market out there and you go ah we ought to be able to do that right but it's it's the economics of getting it from there to there that uh that uh just don't work yeah but just don't throw us all off except except for kabuki theater except for people who want to who want to who want to take advantage of hey it could happen so well and again people are making careers out
2: of this that's what kills me is that people are making careers out of this idea of going back and spending massive amounts of government money to justify spending massive amounts of government money and it's just like it's a self-licking ice cream cone that's uh that's for sure
1: there's you go If if we could find a way to tap into tap into japan's use it use of it as a leverage and the conservation group's use of it as a leverage we'd find a tap way to tap into the economics of that we'd make some money (laughs) yeah
2: we can leverage it maybe i need to start a new company i don't know uh brad keithley alaskans for sustainable budgets we're getting ready to jump back into it here please uh like and share like and follow the show Uh, And uh, please uh, continue to stick around with us here. Let's get back to it. Here we go. Common Sense, Liberty Bay's Free Thicket Radio. All right, we're continuing with the weekly top three. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, comes in and dives into this thing with us to talk about the various issues around the state. Uh, Today, we're on to number three, which is the new Permanent Fund Corporation office, which you wouldn't think would be that contentious. But it may have actually led to the departure of some people from the Permanent Fund Corporation and more there's some deeper waters here at play brad in this whole thing um i think they're trying to do the right thing as far as being able to get the right people hired and some people are so stuck in the old ways of juno is the only answer uh give us your take here on what's going on with this
1: well this is definitely definitely a juno versus anchorage issue um the alaska permanent fund corporation has uh, has pressed forward on its or is pressing forward on its uh, on his proposed uh, opening of an Anchorage office, uh, and uh, and making that an alternative place of uh, of employment and an alternative office for uh, people who otherwise would be uh, would be in the Juno office, and the Permanent Fund Corporation is pressing forward on that, saying that there are people who they who they will be able to bring on board uh, to an Anchorage office who will live in Anchorage who would not come on board. To a Juno office, and that justifies having having an Anchorage office. I, I'm 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 y- you know there may be good arguments for why they need an Anchorage office. That isn't one. <laughs> the, the The reason is that y- it, you you don't say you, you can't you can't stop and say oh there's somebody we want that would that would be in an Anchorage office that wouldn't come to a Juno office, and so that justifies opening an Anchorage office. Um, you really have to go through an analysis of well, who's the next best person that would be that would go to a Juno office, uh, that doesn't need an Anchorage office, that would that would settle it, settle for a Juno office, and is the difference between the the talents of the person who insists on Anchorage and the talents of the person who would who would be satisfied with Juno is the difference between those two so big that it justifies opening a, a brand new office for, uh, for Anchorage. And, um, and I, and I doubt, I doubt frankly that, that they can make that case. I, I, I would, I would guess knowing the industry, knowing the financial industry, knowing the investment industry, I would guess you're going to find enough people to go to Juno that have enough talent that you don't really, you can't really justify having Anchorage because somebody is so much better that they would only go to anchorage and you have to have an anchorage office to accommodate right. this this prima donna that would only go to only go to anchorage. Here here's here's my concern with an anchorage office and it goes back to this in-state the in-state investment program that the that the permanent fund corporation had for a, for a moment. Juno as 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 much as we like to complain about it from a legislative standpoint being its own little its own little weather, its own little uh, 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 bubble, bubble. Thank you. Um, it, it's it's not that really doesn't harm it. I don't think from a permanent permanent fund corporation standpoint. Um, there's not a whole lot of private sector businesses in uh, Juno that would go that go lobby. You know the the permanent fund corporation for investment uh, in in their projects. I'm concerned that there would be that that we would have that problem uh, if we had uh, people up in uh, Anchorage. I'm concerned that a part of this is Anchorage people wanting to get their hands on the permanent fund or businesses wanting to get their hands on permanent fund money, trying to get an office in Anchorage, and because it will be more available to them to to push and to lobby and to and to you know develop relationships with people to push for inst to push for in-state investments by the permanent fund corporation. That's 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 a concern that, that I have. I I I think there is an advantage, frankly, uh in the bubble, in the Juno bubble from the standpoint of the permanent fund corporation, because it's out of the 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 ability of the Anchorage business community to push for influence, uh, right? Alaska, right. To yeah to push for influence on over permanent fund investments. The other piece of this, I think it's just a, I think it's just an Anchorage, Juno fight uh, about, you know, the government, the governor is, is sometimes accused probably rightfully of trying to gradually move government. I mean, sort of like Sarah Palin, gradually move government out of Juno into Anchorage. And this is just a piece of that. Uh, and, uh, and there was the availability of some office space at. uh, department of environmental quality department of environmental conservation and they said oh well it doesn't cost us any office space cuz the state would otherwise pay for it through adec um, and so we're going to we're going to use that and we got to buy some furniture and stuff like that but i but it's but it's really i think the i think the big battle is the concern about moving a piece of another piece of government portion of another piece of government to anchorage i Uh, in the in the long run probably doesn't make a big big difference we're probably not talking about a huge amount of dollars for for office space but i i don't think the justification's there in terms of we've got to have this office for this unique individual right. who otherwise is going to make us zillions of dollars well that wouldn't come on board if we if we made him go to Juno
2: i mean i guess the positives are it's essentially a net zero uh, revenue i mean they don't have to pay for office space they only have to pay for the equipment and the furniture they're able to hire talent that may not want to be trapped in Juno they may want to come i mean i think there's some positives in that regard but my question is in light of everything that's happening today and especially post covid why aren't you just hiring people where they're at? Why aren't you just hiring people rem- It's not like these people have to be in an office face to face. I mean, a, a satellite office doesn't achieve that. I mean, it just means that they're 500 mi- or 1500, miles away in, in Anchorage versus Juno. Why wouldn't you just hire them on the spot and allow them to remain where they're at? If the remote work is you know is such a thing, why would this even be a big deal at this point? And then you had people what? actually quit inside the thing over this whole
1: issue. Yeah. Um, well, you would you, you want people in Alaska. I mean, if if you want you want those dollars, those salary dollars or or bonus dollars or whatever kind of dollars you're paying to these people, you want those in Alaska. You want them spent on Alaska real estate spent on Alaska, groceries spent in Alaska, restaurants spent, you know, traveling in Alaska. So you wanna you wanna you want to you want to bring those dollars as much as you can into alaska now if there's some unique as i say if there's some unique individual that's going to make you a zillion dollars but refuses to live in in juno a zillion dollars more than the next best uh then but refuses to live in Juneau, then yeah okay let's look at alternatives but no one's made that case i mean what what they've said is some people want to live in anchorage okay but you know are they so? Are those? Are they absolutely saying they will not live in Juno? A, and B. Are they so much better than the next best person who will live in Juno that uh, that it justifies justifies the cost? I, I. But you do want them in Alaska, someplace. I mean, you don't want them living in Chicago or Dallas. Well, or they talked about opening up
2: a a a branch office or a, a satellite office in New York because they were trying to do that. So, I mean. You know, there's some argument for some of those things. But, uh, uh, again, I'm just scratching my head overall. This has been, again, the anchorage Juno problem from the very beginning is that this is really a tug of war about where government resides in the state.
1: Yeah. And I I think my point is my point is there's some downside from it. I mean, if you put them in the Anchorage environment, you put you expose them to Anchorage, you know, people who, who have great ideas about how to spend the, the permanent fund money on in-state projects. If you expose them to that environment, I'm concerned that there's a that there's a problem that uh, we may get uh, we may get some dollars directed to Alaska projects that shouldn't go to Alaska projects just because we've, we've put them in that uh, in that sort of environment.
2: 30 seconds. So. final thoughts, Brad.
1: I, yeah, it's fun to watch it. It's sort of, you know, Kabuki. It's another Kabuki theater between Anchorage and Juneau, but I don't think it's a big issue and I don't think that uh, that we ought to be pressing forward with the Anchorage office
2: brad keithley alaskans for sustainable budgets you can find them at ak4sb.com although probably easier just to go and argue with him on facebook he loves to do that and twitter and, and some of the other places he's got a weekly column in the alaska landmine as well you can go check that out at alaskalandmine.com brad keithley thank you so much my friend
1: michael as always thanks for having me
2: we got more coming up the michael Luke show continues our two dead ahead chris story and more up next I mean, I'm not, I'm not necessarily for or against this, Brad. I just, you know, if it's net zero, if it's a, if it's revenue neutral, apparently, with the exception of maybe some office furniture, okay. But I mean, I just, uh, you know, I don't understand. I'm a huge advocate of remote work. I've been an advocate for years. I've been doing it for years personally, and I just think, why do we have to be trapped in one area where we could do it somewhere else? um other than the fact that I love to watch the people spin their wheels over how (laughs) Juno oh we've got to leave everything here because otherwise I mean a a town that has become so dependent on government largesse I love to see him squirm a little bit quite honestly that's just me my personal take on it
1: yeah I think there's a great case I mean I think there's a great case for moving the legislature to Anchorage don't don't get me wrong oh baby oh baby juno centric here you want you want the legislators in 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 your largest city. You want them exposed to, to people when they go to the grocery. You know, ordinary people when they go to the grocery, when they go out to restaurants, and when they, when they drive down the road. You you want that sort of interaction. I just think it's different with respect to uh, with, with respect to the permanent fund corporation. And and here's on the economics, Michael. If we've got spare office space in an, in a state office building, why aren't we? Subleasing it out to the private sector. Mm-hmm. Why aren't we, mm-hmm. you know, reducing government costs? Why yeah. aren't we, why aren't we generating some offsetting revenue? Why, why, why are we looking for? Oh, we got some spare space. Let's put another government agency. Right. Exactly. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not it, disagreeing
2: it, with that either. That's, I mean, you know, if we've got tons of vacant office space around here, let's open that up. I mean, why not make a little bit of that money back? It seems to make sense.
1: Yeah. It's a. I mean that that I think is just a. I mean, I think that's just a specious argument. I mean, if if, there is an opportunity cost here, if there's spare office space, we could, we could market it. We could, we could monetize it. Uh, The fact that, uh, you know, calling it free, free office space just isn't, just isn't right. There's an opportunity cost to it. I, from a, from a, from a remote work standpoint, yeah, it's great. I mean, remote work is works. I did, you've done it. I've done it. Uh, it's, uh, it's something that I think we can accommodate, but we do want those dollars somewhere in Alaska. I mean, we do want those, right. those, those wage dollars, those wage dollars or bonus dollars somewhere in Alaska. So, well, it's, uh,
2: it's interesting. I mean, it, it, and the thing is, is that, as you said, more Kabuki theater, we're fighting over something like that. We're not fighting, but you know, we're, we're arguing over something like this when this is like, it's such a, a, a minor thing in the long run. Um, but you know i I could be honest, I don't think I would want to work in Juno, being trapped down there and not being able to go anywhere or do anything or, you know, at least have the opportunity to. but it's you know it's uh, it's one of those things again, it's a smaller thing in the in the whole scheme of the entire
1: of the entire organization, yeah, so let's compare this issue the 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 last issue we're taking up today to the first issue, you know, not having a special session, not resolving our fiscal outlook, not resolving. Not resolving the PFD issue, letting PFD cuts just continue to roll along and be the source of uh, the source of a uh, source of government funding, Two, night and day. One's a huge issue. One's a one's a, a very very minor issue. that right. you know, whether whether this guy's in Juneau or Anchorage is very very. But we're spending a lot as a government, as as newspapers, and as as everything. We're spending a lot more time right. on that issue. Than we are on the fact that the governor's not calling a special session and uh, and not progressing forward on a, on finding a fiscal resolution. Well, what
2: do they call that? What's the old axiom, tripping over a dollar to pick up a dime kind of thing? I mean, that's what we seem to be doing all the time. Jeannie says, "Why is it important to have wages in Alaska? It's not taxed." And I think the point <laughs> I think the point is I mean, she does have a point in one way, but another way, it is going into the local economy. So at least there is money flowing in the local economy that way, but it is not taxed, which. Again, is a whole nother issue about you know remote workers or out of state workers not being taxed on everything as well. So uh, I, there's two issues there, I guess, in that regard.
1: Yeah, I think I think it is. I, it, it's it's important from the standpoint of the private economy. It's important from the standpoint of you know the real estate market. Where where where, where do people uh, spend their 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 you know rent money or their mortgage money? Uh, it's important from you know the standpoint of restaurants from food. Just, just you know, basic spending. Where do they, where do they spend their money? And I think it, you know, if it's state government, if it's state money, we we generally should want to have that spent in the state and help uh, help bolster the state economy.
2: Okay, final question for the day. People want to know, what's the micro music festival on your chest there? What's the? Uh,
1: this this was a this was a festival, a music festival that Caitlin Warbelow from Fairbanks, fiddler from Fairbanks, recently hosted. Uh, up in Fairbanks uh, in April uh, of this year and um, you know one of the things i learned over over covid was uh you can support live music you can support music by uh, a number of ways going to the uh, programs buying the cds but you can also buy by merch and so she had this for sale and uh, i wanted to be supportive of the festival and i wanted to be supportive of her she's an alaskan musician that's done great things she's played on broadway uh as part of uh come from away musical so uh it was uh, and just, it's a hoodie yeah know, and
2: just so. a way yeah you're you're a hoodie fan you're we know you're a hoodie fan so it's a way to support them without if, if you can't even if you can't get to the festival you can buy some hoodies or merch or whatever and help support that and that's great stuff that's
1: right that's right it, it's alaska right see it's, you're it's we're supporting you're, you're dropping money in alaska, alaska. yeah <laughs> alaska projects
2: yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's a, it's an amazing thing. But you're right, Brad. I mean, it's amazing how much of what we are doing in this state, literally in the long run and in the short run too. But even, I mean, it amounts to kabuki. It amounts to nothing. It's storm and strife, signifying nothing. We're just getting we're 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 getting spun up around things that don't make any difference in the long run. Big differences, while we're letting the large things languish. And it's uh, it's 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 tough
1: it's tough to we've got to move on
2: to pick up that dollar instead of tripping over
1: it and uh I don't yeah know. exactly right and 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 the first issue we had today you know whether or not we're going to have a special session whether we're going to resolve fiscal policy that's a that's the dollar that's a that's a big issue one we should be resolving but yeah, we're letting that float float by while we're arguing about aklng and we're going to argue about whether or not three people ought to be in anchorage as opposed to right as opposed to you know.
2: Brad, thank you so much. We appreciate it, folks. We're out of time. Uh, we'll talk to you next week, Brad. Thanks. Uh, folks, the Michael Luke Show continues. Common Sense Radio, hour two right now.
0: put that thing back in its holster we haven't gone anywhere I don't understand check out the michael dukeshow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast welcome to the party pal. the Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world.
2: Around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeshow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome back to the program. It is hour two of the big radio show, and yes, this is a dumpster fire. That's what. It is. What more do you expect from a low-budget radio program? Um, we're continuing on. We just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets in the weekly top three, um, and uh, an interesting discussion on a variety of topics, and kind of highlighting the fact that uh, that uh, you know we keep getting. We kept get, we kept getting we I talk about going down into the weeds sometimes on Tuesday, and it seems like sometimes we get stuck on these little things or these little uh, uh, distractions away from the major issues. And I think that was kind of the takeaway today from Brad's stuff. We'll talk about that here in a second. Chris' story is uh, coming out. Um, uh, in just a few moments, we're going to be talking with him here in a few minutes to get our weekly life coaching lesson. His lesson for today is going to be how to optimize your life. Optimize your life, which, of course, we you know, would all love to do to be more efficient and to get more enjoyment out of life and do all the different things. So we're going to talk with Chris about that here. In just a few moments, we'll, uh, we'll dive into that with him and get uh, into the details of it. But let's rewind for just a second. And if you miss Brad Keithley, if you're just joining us now um, and you miss Brad, you can always go back and listen to it on the podcast, which is available, well, wherever you find podcasts, including my favorite, Spotify. You can go over to Spotify and you can get the podcast there. Set it to subscribe, and it'll automatically download it to your device every day. And you can go back and listen to it at your leisure, and uh, and do that. And there is a bunch of you doing that, so we appreciate you if you are listening on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, even if it is a little delayed. I mean, you are not members of the six o'clock club, but you know that's just bragging rights more than anything else. Going back to what Brad was talking about uh, again, and he was kind of discussing, you know, what he considered to be the Kabuki theater of AKLNG and the the whole distraction of whether or not we have a satellite office for the Permanent Fund Corporation and everything else. I mean, the details matter. Don't let's not <clears throat> don't get too twisted to say we shouldn't be paying attention to all this because, they're, you know, it's the details matter. But the problem is, is that I think we get locked on a lot of these details. And we don't really, you know, we're not we're not focusing on what is critical. Uh, I mean, the governor here has shown a an incredible lack of leadership. Um, I guess is what I'll say right off the bat. Um, and I mean, I like I like Mike Dunleavy. I like him as a person. Um, I voted for him in both elections. Um, I thought he was obviously better. I mean, in the last election, I it was ranked choice, so I voted for him second. But I thought he was better than the alternative lower two out there. But the problem is, is that I agree with Brad's analysis that essentially he came out strong in 2018, 2019. He'd surrounded himself with what I thought were the right people, including folks like Donna Ardwin, uh, who has got a incredible track record. Uh, Around the country, getting states back on track with their spending uh, and uh, bringing, you know, bringing things back from a free market perspective. Um, And she helped him craft this, you know, this 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 budget uh, that had a lot of the pro big government people wringing their hands left and right. And in in the long run, again, I agree with what Brad was saying. He got he was scarred. He was scarred by what happened in that first go around. He's like a spanked puppy, right? He just twitches at every opportunity, and now he doesn't um, he doesn't put his neck out for anything. He doesn't engage the public. He doesn't uh, talk with them about or his base about what he's doing. Um, He ran on a platform of a full PFD, and has done really done nothing except talk the talk right yeah he twitches it uh, red silver says over on twitch he says he twitches at every opportunity that's exactly right he twitches it it's like every time you know boom, he blinks he flinches um and you know while i understand that that was a hard thing i mean facing an immediate recall the the whole I mean, every news media outlet and talking head and everything else was out there decrying the fact that this was going to be absolute Armageddon and dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, children dying in the streets because of his budget, which was all untrue. It was all hyperbole. It was I mean, in the in the long run, we were talking about what was less than a 10 percent overall budget cut. Uh, and it could have been stepped down to even take place over a couple of years instead of. It could have been negotiated to take place over a couple of years, and instead, we end up spending with a supplemental budget. We end up spending more that year than was te- than, than, than what we actually the year before. I mean, they ended up cutting. I think what was it when it was all said and done? They cut less than eighty million dollars out of a six billion dollar budget. And then with the supplemental, they actually then put that $80 million back in. So, I mean, how tough a time was it really? Of course, you had the recall and everything else, and people are all bent out of shape and all that. You know, this is the problem with living in a dependency society which is what we've created here in the state of Alaska. We have created a state of dependency at many different levels. Not just on normally when you talk about dependency it's you know on the social welfare side, the social safety net, you know, the 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 aid and the the payments to people and the welfare and that kind of stuff, you know, medical, section 8 housing, that kind of stuff. But we we've created we have such a, a weird setup in the states it's the only state in the country like this i think to this extent because of the way that our government is funded you know that we have corporate welfare as well we've got companies that are so dependent on that government money they've built their entire business model on the government spending and if that is threatened then they too got i mean they that was part of the whole thing right they're up in arms you've got the education industrial complex uh, to borrow a phrase from Eisenhower uh, or to paraphrase, it's, you know, you've got the education industrial complex where they are taking government money at every turn uh, and always asking for more. I mean, we are funding our universities at a level that no other Western mid to small size state is funding their universities. I mean, like it attuned to it's like two to one, three to one, three times as much money. And the fact that he wanted to cut you know, a few million dollars out over the long, at first of it was 120 million. And then, well, now we'll do it over three years and it's only 75 million. And then of course, none of that really ever came to fruition. I think they may have cut the first 20 or 30 million out. And after that, it just reversed right back to it. And so what we have is a governor who is not, well, he's not living up to his promises and he's not looking to the support He's not looking to support where he could get it. He could get it. He could rally the base. He could engage the public. And he, for a short period of time, he did. He was doing the, uh, you know, essentially he said, oh, I'm going to ignore the news media because they're not, they're, they're not friendly to me. No, of course they're not friendly to you. They don't I mean, they they want what big what the big corporates and the governments and everything else want, because that's where they're making. I mean, they're they're making money, too, and they're they want to see that advertising dollar flow in and all this other stuff going on. They want to do all that. So, of course, they're not with you on that. So he said, well, I'm going to we're going to we're going to do that and then we're going to. Uh, we're going to ignore them and we're going to go straight to the people. And he did for a period of time. You know, he did the Facebook lives and other things that he did, which I thought were very well received and, and a good opportunity to speak directly to the public without the interference of the or the, you know, the interpretation of the news media. Um, but that slowly went away as well. And now he is like. He's like a hermit. He like he he pops out every now and then, says one or two things and then leaves. I mean, he said he made a commitment to this program to come on this program every six to eight weeks to talk to us about stuff. And that slowly whittled away, as it seems to happen almost every time to every politician, uh, especially at the gubernatorial level, where he, you know, for the first. You know, year, its that's what happens. The first year, year and a half, it happens. And then in two years, it becomes, well, we only see him every three months. And then maybe it's only every six months. And then it's not that he's on the program for 20 or 30 minutes in kind of a free-form discussion of what's going on. He can only be with me for, oh, he the governor can only be with you for about 12 minutes. And he's got some things that he wants to talk about. And then it becomes just another place for him to come out and throw out some talking points and walk away without having any questions or conversations. That's, I mean, that, why? You have an opportunity. You have a bullhorn. I am offering you, and it's not just about me. I'm just saying this, he has the opportunity in many different ways. But just in this example, he has the opportunity to talk to thousands of Alaskans. This this program reaches out to thousands of Alaskans across you know, 20 different translators and radio stations and everything else across the state of Alaska. You have the opportunity to tell your side of the story. This is a friendly audience, a friendly host. I mean, I'm not going to I don't do gotcha questions, even with people that I disagree with. I mean, we have a good discussion, but you had the opportunity. Why would you turn from that? Why would you jettison that? I just I do not understand this hunker down mode where he just disappears, pops up like a, you know, pops up like a marmot every now and then, and then just goes back down and you don't see him again. If, as Brad said, this is part of a bigger struggle. um, This is part of a bigger struggle to, or plan, bigger plan to later on reach for even higher office, for example, maybe to try and run for Senate against Dan Sullivan or or Lisa Murkowski or run for the house or whatever, you're not doing yourselves any favors. I think it was Terry earlier on that said, if this is his track record for governor, I'm not going to be voting for him in any other office. I think many of the base feel that way. I think many of those who supported him as a, as somebody who they believed would fight for them and do that, I think a lot of them feel that way. Why would I? Why would I step up and um? And and vote for him if he is not going to step up for me. I think a lot of the problems that we're having today could be not all solved by the governor. But as Brad says, we have one of the strongest governor systems in the country. We have probably the strongest governor of all the states with the ability that he has to do things, especially related to fiscal issues. Why wouldn't you stand up and do something? Especially, again, He's in a lame duck session. He cannot run for governor again. And you're still two years, two and a half, three years out from even any kind of election, even if it's for higher office, like for the Senate. Why wouldn't you make the changes you can make now in the beginning? Because if you're worried about the electorate holding hard feelings, that electorate is very, I mean, they've got a very short memory. You do something today, three years from now, they probably have mostly forgotten about it. So why wouldn't you do it now unless you really didn't believe what you were saying when you ran for office? You really didn't believe in the thing. You were telling us what we wanted to hear. Uh, it, that's, all I can, that's all I can see right now. And maybe that's harsh. Maybe that's uh, maybe some people feel that that's unfair of me to, to paint that on the But. This is all we have. We can only we can only deal with it in the way that we, you know, we can only call it like we seize it, I guess, in the in the the end is what I'm what I'm saying here. But the governor needs to stand up. Um, Maybe he needs to call a special session. I mean, the fact that he said, well, I won't call a special session if the legislature doesn't want to. It's very obvious the legislature doesn't want to, because while they are out of special session, they hold all the cards. They hold all the cards. They hold everything. Now, maybe you call them in a special session and they squat and do nothing and throw a tantrum. But again, that's something that they have to have on their records and they have to live with. Maybe that's part of the game you have to play. Call them in and watch them do nothing and then be able to say, well, otherwise it's just capitulation at this point. And and by the way, it's also basically saying that you condone the behavior of what, for example, the Senate did this year. In the process in in abrogating and abusing and destroying the process that you basically condone that kind of behavior i i don't know it's so frustrating to watch i would have hoped that the governor would have taken a stronger stand he didn't he had the opportunity and here we are here we are all right we got more coming up the michael duke show Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Chris Story is up next, telling us how to optimize our life. We'll continue right after this. Regularly heard on American
1: radio. Mike. Mike, Mike, Michael radio. Yep,
2: we did have options. We did have options. That's why I said he was my second choice. Sorry. <laughs> Would have been nice if we had had uh, if we had had a, a different outcome on that, but unfortunately. It, uh, unfortunately it didn't, it didn't work that way. Uh, that's, yeah, that was weird. We had a little bit of a, little bit of a hiccup there in the whole deal and it didn't, uh, didn't work out. Okay. I'm going to try and get Chris story on the line here. See if we can get him, uh, on board and, uh, we'll talk about that for a second here. Okay. I got Chris there and we will do that right there call chris get him on the phone oh yeah something went good morning michael good morning sir how are you fantastic yep um you ready to go to tell us how to optimize our life
3: yes michael i was born ready for this
2: (laughs) Wow. Somebody's full of PMV this morning. All right. Well, <laughs> we're all, we're all ready. Then we'll get things, uh, we'll get things squared away. Uh, let me, on uh, there, there we go. Lost the audio for a minute, but now we're back. Um, now, now we're back. Sorry about that guys. Yeah. There was a little, some kind of static hiccup or something when Mm -hmm. i was making something so we're back to it uh chris story our guests we're in the commercial break right now we're about two and a half minutes out my friend what uh what's going on in chris story's world before we get into the life coaching what's happening in your world what's going on uh with all your your good stuff tell us about all your successes and uh, your your projects going on (laughs) well oh my can we start with my failures and and um that i don't it's have enough worried. time i don't have enough time for that we have yeah, to do the
3: successes right. so, yeah you want to bring people down
2: that's no, all, all good
3: what a what a gorgeous day down here i mean there's just ribbons of pink and blue in the sky i mean it's just michael when you wake up on top of the world how can you not just be ready
2: <laughs> to tackle it well you've got some good news for folks as well your latest work is now um available on all channels right on
3: mm-hmm. all channels now and what I'm, what I'm hearing from somebody who it shocked me, they downloaded on Audible, The Watchman, as read by Michael Dukes, fantastically. You bring it to life in an incredible way. And somebody told me they went hiking the other day alone and listened to it by themselves. Uh, they listened to the last hour or so of it alone on this hike out in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, wow, I was working at one of my rental houses in the yard. I was over there claimed doing some stuff and I had it in my my earphones and listening to it and I was looking over my shoulder I mean you were creeping me out so I couldn't imagine having gone on a hike but I thought that was a pretty big compliment because she said I couldn't not find out what happened next Michael <laughs> just kept me on the edge of my seat
2: yeah well it's a good I gotta tell you it's a good it's a great story it was a it was a pleasure to perform it for audio and uh, I'm glad that it's all up and so it's available on audiobooks on audible.com right now right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, wherever people download, uh, yep, their audio books. You can go to my website, ilovehomeralaska.com, forward slash books, and click on it there, or just uh, Amazon Audible. And, uh, yeah, in fact, I have some uh, promo codes. we give away a couple if you'd like. Oh, that'd be fun.
2: nice. Okay, well, maybe we'll give away a couple promo codes for the book today. We could do that. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Chris Story uh, with us. We're about to rejoin the radio Please like and share, like and follow, uh, do all the YouTubey things. Uh, you can join us and say hi. I see that Bob Dobbs Sub Genius is on, and Red Silver Chum over on Twitch, as well as everybody who's on Facebook and YouTube. So like and share, like and share, like and follow, do all that stuff. Let's jump back into it, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Here we go.
0: The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. (sniffs) Pinch of (laughs) intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes.
2: Oh, baby. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. We are doing our thing here. It's a Tuesday, which means Chris Story comes in. The man from Homer. Who is not just a radio show guy he has his own radio show on tuesdays and thursdays down on the peninsula he's also a realtor of some renown a potter of some that's pottery not the other one pottery of some renown and of course the unofficial pma guru of positivity for the michael duke show good morning my friend how are you this morning
3: well what would it take to make it official
2: well, you're okay it's official you are officially the baron okay. the baron of betterment the guru of positivity the lifestyle coach extraordinaire mr story how are you sir what's okay. going on that sounds sounds official to
3: me i'm i'm on top of the world michael but you know what's funny because i say that and i you know I love to just jab people in the reds by saying things like, I was born to live on top of the world. and The truth of it is it can sound a little obnoxious. Um, The reality is like like every other human being, I have both positive and negative feelings, emotions, days, good days, great days, bad days. Uh, Things happen in life. And that's why I wanted to talk to you about optimizing your life for any event. Because there's going to be events that happen, no matter how positive you are, no matter how optimistic you think you are or are relatively, especially when compared to others you know. It, you need to be able to optimize. You need to have a practice and be able to re, to fall back on that practice when times uh, are not so rosy.
2: Okay. So I want to optimize my life. Tell me, I mean, are there steps? What do I, what do I got to do? Is this like a fourteen-step program or nine-step program? What do I have to do, Chris?
3: First of all, send me a check uh, to a thousand five carriage court, Homer, Alaska 99603.
2: Uh, no, ninety nine ninety for trouble. only ninety nine ninety nine. Chris is going to help you optimize your life. Go ahead for a month, and with you know twelve-month commitment.
3: <laughs> but the, the reality is, I think the most important thing is because we all know people that are super positive super charged seem like they're always happy seem like they're always on things always just lean their way they fall into uh, a ravine land in a pile of goat scat and pull out a gold watch And you know like, what How? right right and it just seems like everything just comes so easy and and i'll admit to you michael that i lean towards optimism and i and i just kind of wake up that way it's it's my tendency is to be optimistic my tendency to look at the bright side be a problem solver uh recognize yeah things aren't perfect but wait a minute what if we did this and try to bring solutions to the table in whatever walk of life i'm i'm in at the moment however that said as i said it's a daily dance because you can stumble the the, the, the no matter which way you tend to go you're gonna stumble at some point. And that's why I suggest we have a a practice. It's like Kung Fu. If you were to get a black belt in karate or Kung Fu or whatever, you don't stop practicing. You've got to keep going. You have to keep practicing. You have to keep uh, the practice alive or it will begin to fade away and, and die away. And so for me, there are certain triggers in my life, in my mind, when I hear myself saying out loud or thinking, Certain thoughts, I realize, oh, wait a minute. Oh, if I've got a problem with him and him and her, and I suddenly realize, wait a minute, okay, it's not all them. It's me. What's going on? And I'll start to go through, okay, what's really happening here and figure out pretty quick, okay, I need to reorient towards this direction. And suddenly and magically, everybody else changes. You know, it's like, no, it's well within your control. So I think I want to make the case for optimism with, with six simple points. The first one being if you adopt an optimistic practice, and I don't just mean a one and done mindset shift, I'm talking about a practice of optimism, it will boost your mental health and it will scientifically, having been proven, reduce stress and the impact of stress on your body and anxiety. And stress should be noted as two parts. There's distress and eustress. We're not talking about eustress. You eustress you is if you like roller coasters, That's you stressed. That's wonderful. That's exhilarating and thrilling. If you do not like roller coasters, that is putting you in a state of distress and causing release of toxic uh, hormones and, and chemicals into your body and your brain. So you have to look out for which kind of stress we're talking about and just understand that if you practice optimism in your life daily, you will boost your own mental health and reduce the distress in your life and anxiety. And that's scientifically
2: proven. We know this okay so practice uh practice that uh you know being optimistic in all levels is there i mean can you i we don't have a whole lot of time i don't want to take too far afield but is there a way to break that down to us for basics i mean what do you do to remain optimistic all the time and practice that optimism all the time
3: well yeah i was gonna say because it isn't remaining optimistic all the time it's it's the practice and so if you think in terms of waking up if you were a and I love martial arts, Michael, and I i pretend to, you know, have a black
0: belt. I don't have one.
3: Um, but I have a brown belt, but it's leather. Yeah. Anyway. Exactly. Long story short, I love I have loved ever since I saw my first Bruce Lee movie, probably when I was like eight or nine, I've been infatuated with martial arts. So I'll come back to that and just say that you if you were serious about martial arts, you would probably earlier than later in your day, probably in your first thing in the morning, you would go through the the moves and you would go through whatever practice it is that you set out for yourself and has been trained that your guru your mentor or your sensei would have given you a certain guide to practice in the morning and so that's what i do with optimism and with positivity i read positive things first thing in the morning i do not read the news first thing in the morning i do not look at what is horrible that's happening around the world First thing in the morning i protect the morning as a practice for uh gratitude i go into a gratitude prayer i pray uh for you know a lot of different things and people in my life and then i go through a certain stretch stretching regimen and then i go into drinking coffee and reading for the rest of the morning And but that is my practice to set the day off correctly right. and right that doesn't mean that something's not going to come at me later that is negative or, or is disastrous or not what i wanted and like but i'm i'm more prepared to deal with it because of the practice i put in place in the morning and not everybody's a morning person sure okay but i would suggest get up a half hour earlier than you normally do and put this in the practice and the second in the case for optimism would be to change your outlook have a positive outlook that will enhance your resilience during stressful times and by that i mean to say you have to physically go in and manipulate your brain and your subconscious mind with that positive outlook. You have to physically do that by how you think, even if you're fooling and tricking your subconscious mind and affirmations are a great way to do that. You can have them written down or you can just have them memorized and you just go through these affirmations. The more you say them, the more your subconscious will adopt them and it will come to fruition in your daily life.
2: Okay. So again, controlling, grabbing control of that computer between your ears and basically just programming it with the positive thoughts and grabbing those negative thoughts and kind of squeezing them out and, uh, uh, you know, just replacing them. Anytime you start to go down the wrong path of thought, you grab it by the throat and you pull it back and you say, no, 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 this is what's going to happen. This is, this is how I feel about it, right?
3: Yes, exactly. And the the third element of my case for optimism, why you should be an optimist, optimistic people have better health, physical health, mental health, as we already talked about, but also outcomes during cases of illness or whatnot. And the Mayo Clinic has studied it, I mean, countless prize-winning entities have studied this. This isn't just some, you know, PMA schmuck on late night TV suggesting it, it actually is true. And you can trust the science that optimistic people have better physical health and outcomes when faced with uh, disease or malady. So it's just that's another. I mean, if, if, if you don't care about oh better financial or better relationships or better um, you know, mental outlook or whatever, how about physical health? Maybe that would make the case why you might want to think about becoming an optimist and then also uh, truly relationships. Better marriage, better relationships, better right. uh, familial relationships. All of these things are the outcome or I guess I would say the, you know, the distillant of having a positive outlook or an optimistic view of the world, Okay, even though it doesn't necessarily come natural to you.
2: Sure. Okay. All right. But always, at least we feel better about it as we go through it, even if it's not working out quite how we envision. All right. Number four. You can't help, yeah. but feel better. Exactly. Yeah. Number four. Well, that that is the the fourth was the relationships. And then
3: fifth, I would say um, motivation for your goals. If you've got any sort of goal and you should, and you've got something you're working towards, I don't care at any age or stage of life, you're working towards something, optimism will be the fuel. Because we all know people that tend to want to give you 10 reasons why it won't work, then you may be that person. It's time now to at least try to get two reasons why it might. So even if it's a two to 10 ratio, it's okay. You're gonna start building like a muscle optimism and it will fuel and provide motivation to going towards achieving whatever it is you want. If it's, if it's in the political arena, business, personal health, relationship, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is you're looking to do, become or have, or place to go, whatever it is, optimism will begin to uh, fuel that in a, in a different way even if, again, you still got seven, eight, nine reasons come to mind why this might not work, you then use that as a trigger to come up with at least two or maybe more reasons why it will work and right. why you are capable of doing this and why you deserve it, too. And that's a big piece of it is so many people don't feel deserving of something better. I remember one time my dad helped my wife and I remodel a commercial building to our home, and I, and we ended up with this like kitchen that was three times the size of the kitchen that we had in our a small apartment. And I just remember thinking and, and singing out loud, I don't, I, do we deserve this? I mean, it's like, this is a huge, tiled, beautiful kitchen. And I, I caught myself quickly. So it's, I slapped myself and, I wish I could, um, I didn't really slap myself, Michael. I'm just using that violence as a metaphor for how I heard it, how it struck my ear. And I was like, of course we do. But I I had the thought and I had to stamp it out
2: like a fire. Yeah, absolutely. What's the sixth one?
3: You will have a more satisfactory life. You will look back over the good and the bad times, the peaks and the valleys. You will look back over your life Having an optimistic outlook throughout, even when you've stumbled, fallen, whatever, you will look back with greater, deeper satisfaction, more contentment. And I was talking with a guy yesterday who is a contemporary of mine, and very much like we're living two different lives, but almost like in two different tracks, but like making the same moves, and we're about the same age and And we both look back and go, you know, Wouldn't do it any different. Yeah, made a mistake here. Yep, failed there. Wouldn't do it any different. We feel like we've lived more facets of a life than if we had chosen a different path. You know, we're very similar. And that's life satisfaction. And again, optimistic outlook is going to help you achieve that at any age or stage of life. And even if you don't get exactly what you set out for. Sometimes you end up someplace better.
2: Well, yeah. And at least the journey is more enjoyable. I mean, even if, and again, not to be negative, but even if you never achieve the life goal, even if you don't achieve the, but at least the, at least the journey itself is enjoyable. It's not a slog. You know, you see people who set a goal and they go and it's just like head down. It's a slog and I'm going to get there. Mm -hmm. And if they don't get there, you know, at a certain age or whatever, then they feel like a failure. You didn't enjoy the journey to get there. Um, and you got to have that, me, you got to go ahead. Yeah. I just, I'll give you the perfect
3: example, just to illustrate what you just said. I thought I really wanted to work with a publisher. I really wanted to get my books in the hand of a publisher. So for years I delayed, I would send out inquiries. I would send out emails, send out letters, make phone calls. And I really wanted to be picked sort of like, pick me, pick me from the other side of the room. And the, the pretty girl always danced with the other guy. They were not dancing with me. So I said, you know what? Forget them. I pick myself. And so that could be looked at as a failure, but self-publishing, for example, has gone into a whole different direction now. So yeah. I have uh, two people that I've created a team of people. Two are in Chicago. One is in Anchorage. Two are in Anchorage, actually, if I count you, Michael, and I do. And so my publishing team, uh, and then I have a graphic artist. So I have four people in my publishing house that created my own team under story productions and we just came out with our latest book called the watchman and it's fantastic getting rave reviews from people that have read it and i do not care that i wasn't picked i feel completely satisfied doing this on my own and i feel optimistic about it especially because the new audible version narrated by michael dukes just dropped and but i feel content with it i'm no longer worried that i wasn't picked by one of the big six houses i don't care chances are good i probably wouldn't have enjoyed working with them
2: exactly well and you've any now you're calling your own shots as well which is even better all right well we're out of time for today you do have a couple of codes to give away are you just going to choose people at random who text you or what do you want to do
3: yeah just text me the word uh man with two n's m-a-n-n and i will send the first i see. i'll do 10 the first 10 I'll send you a free copy of the audio book called The Watchman, read by Michael Dukes, 299-7653. Just send me the word man with two ends, and I will send you back the code.
2: 299-7653. If you text the word man, you get a free audio book of Chris Story's latest book, The Watchman, narrated by yours truly, which I don't know if that's a plus or a minus. We'll figure that out later on. Chris, Chris Story, thank you so much, my friend. It's good to talk with you. Hold the line for just a second, folks we got one more segment coming up. We're going to be back. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio.
0: We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on, on, the, on the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and Michael dukes Okay, Chris
2: Story is our guest one more time. I don't know if uh, Bob is still in it with us on Twitch or not, but he asked a question. Put your realtor cap on for a second, Chris. Can you ask your guest what's the best way to come up with a down payment for a commercial property purchase? So you're a you're a, a real estate genius. Tell folks uh, what is the best way to come up with a down payment for a commercial prop. I mean, I'm assuming savings, but is there a, is there a, is there a good, uh is there a good plan there?
3: Well, I mean, okay. So you you pointed out the obvious, which but maybe people don't want to wait by ten years or whatever it's going to take to assemble that. So what I would do is think in terms of well, the tagline of our our show, the Backyard Millionaire, is essentially you cannot save your way to a fortune, but you can invest your way to wealth if you can learn to save. So obviously, savings is a part of it. However, commercial uh, properties can be a little bit more expensive on their face. And also, as a result of that, you're going to need 25% down, probably, plus some expensive closing costs. Appraisals are very expensive on a commercial property. So what about syndicating? What about creating a limited partnership? What about getting together? five, six, seven, eight people or three people, depending upon what you've got saved already and forming a a syndicate and saying, okay guys, I'll be the general manager of this partnership. I'm bringing us the deal. So you can put together your deal subject to financing and so forth. And then when it comes time in the documentation to put who will take title to this property, who's the buyer, you say your name or your, your limited liability corporation, whatever you got, and then and or assigns such that you can create the entity after you have put the deal together. So long as you think you've got some people in the wings, you don't want to do this without a net underneath you. You want to know at least a few people that might be willing to loan you the money, the virtue of this, or via this new syndicate that you're forming, of which you're the managing partner. People do this all over the country in commercial or large residential projects and properties, but the reality is you got to have something you bring to the table. Maybe you brought the deal to the table, maybe you don't bring any money, but you're just bringing the deal and the knowledge and the willingness to manage the whole then that could be a great way to do it without a lot of money out of your own pocket. But I would think in terms of also borrowing that money, let's say you don't want to syndicate, and say, man, I can't get along with myself, let alone two, three, five other people. Um, Okay, is there someone in your life, a hard money kind of lender, somebody who's got money, they loan it to people, they like it securitized by real estate, and they'd be willing to take a second position? The bank will never take a second position, but maybe your friend or this lender, hard money lender, just a person with a lot of money out there, and there's plenty of them, uh, maybe they'll take a second if the position and the equity position is right. The other piece of it would be, can you do owner financing and just minimize the amount down? And just say, look, um, and I just did a deal like this two two years ago for Tiffany and I, it uh, happened to be commercial, and uh, we talked with the folks, and they said, well, this is what we'd want down, we'll carry you for X number of years. And I said, well, how about this? And we created an alternate plan, and they said, okay, here's what one thing we did. We actually increased the interest that they were going to be earning, what they were gonna, willing to accept a certain amount of interest. We said, well, in a little of a larger down payment, how about we give you a little bit more interest, bump that up, and then we also extended it out for a number of years, so it was a very secure investment for us. There's a lot of ways to manipulate those figures such that you don't have to come up with it all yourself.
2: I mean, that's, uh, and this is solid advice. This is stuff that you guys would pay big money for, so uh, that's good. Thank you, Chris, for that. He asked, he said to thank you, by the way. He said thank you. Uh, He said if you're, he said to ask you if you're talking about, R-E-I-T, which I don't know what that is, but R-E-I-T.
1: No,
3: that's a real estate investment trust, and I'm not talking about that. You could you could create one, I guess. REITs are typically, you know, larger, much larger. I'm talking about something you would own and control versus putting a little bit of money into a real estate investment trust. If you wanted to create your own real estate investment trust, maybe, but I just mean syndicating out the down, down payment, the portion right. which with what you do not have in which case then everybody's getting a taste in the overall ownership but you'd want to structure it such that you're the manager you're the leader of this whole group and um and have an option and, ha- of-
2: and have an option to buy out later or you know some kind of pathway absolutely. some kind of pathway to sole ownership in the future right absolutely securitizing your own yeah so you could never be forced out or None of the partners can sell out
3: without your written express permission. You'd always have a first right of refusal, such that you don't end up with eight partners down the road you don't know, like, or trust. Right. Because you got to start this out with people that you do know, like, and trust.
2: Wow, we should do a whole show on real estate investment. That's a fascinating topic. Uh, and I learn something new every day. So that's, uh, that's good stuff. Chris, thank you, my friend. Um, appreciate my pleasure. You, appreciate you coming on board. Thanks for being part of it today. Okay. You have a good day, Michael. Thank Thank you. you, sir. Appreciate it. Good to hear from you. Chris Story, the man from Homer, giving us a little bit of advice here on the way down. We are 30 seconds out from rejoining the radio, which we will do, uh, here in just a hot second. Uh, please like and share the show, like and follow the show page. If you want to be part of it, we'd love to, uh, Love to uh, join up on that. I was going to open up the phone lines, but I don't think we have enough time to do that here this morning. So we'll just uh, kick things off, and uh, I'll do a little chit-chat here uh, in the final segment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Here we go. okay 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 well Chris already just texted me and said he already got the first 10 books out so 10 of you will be uh, getting some download codes from audible.com for Chris Story's latest book called The Watchman um, from audible narrated by well narrated by me so if you can't get enough of my voice in the morning, you can put it in your earbuds at night. And uh, this book is good. It's <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit spooky. It's a little bit uh, dark. Uh, but it is a great read. And I hope you uh, I hope you enjoy it uh, for those of you that won copies of it. If you want, you can go over to audible.com and just uh, type in The Watchman with two N's um, uh, and put Chris Story, The Watchman, and you will find it there. And uh, he has uh, he's written a winner right there. A lot of fun, a lot of lot of good stuff in that story. And uh, I really, really enjoyed uh, performing it. Hopefully you enjoy reading it or listening to it, consuming it, as the case may be. So good stuff. During the break, we also got some great real estate advice from Chris. And uh, because somebody uh, somebody who was on Twitch asked a question about, um, buying commercial property and saving up and how do they do it? What's the best way? And Chris really broke it out. And I thought, uh, did a really good job of giving us some great advice on that. Maybe we should have Chris back on to talk specifically about, um, to talk specifically about real estate. Uh, because that's his, I mean, that's his date. The guys, he makes me tired. I mean, he's uh, again, he does the real estate. He does the radio. He does, uh, the, the positivity thing where he goes around and speaks to people and he does the pottery professionally and all this kind of stuff. So it makes me tired <laughs> The guy, guys out there. I mean, I'm busy, but he's busy too. So it's, uh, it's good. It's good stuff. And we appreciated Chris coming on. Um, Uh, Coming on board and talking about it, Chris in the Chris uh, Chris in the chat room, not Chris' story, but Chris in the chat room says a good realtor can help anyone buy commercial property without innovative or with innovative financing, and I agree. Uh, I agree. So maybe we should have Chris back on one day to just talk real estate stuff because it's interesting. I mean, it's one of the few ways to really grow wealth uh, in uh, you know in the long run. That's I think really approachable for most people. Most people, if you have a decent income, um, you know, middle American, if that still exists, middle American income, you can expand your wealth with real estate. Um, I've learned that by I mean, Chris has got a book out that talks specifically about this called The Backyard Millionaire, which is also available on uh, Audible, also read by yours truly. But it's a great book on that as well. And you should uh, go out there and check it out and get yourself a copy of it. And, uh, and, and do it. And yes, it'd be a way to get yourself out of the nine to five. If you're tired of the nine to five grind, that's, uh, that's the way to do it. So anyway, uh, all right. So, uh, what else we got left over today that we didn't get to, man, I don't know what is going on down in Anchorage. I mean, I'm so thankful that I don't live in Anchorage proper itself. I work in Anchorage, but. Um, You know, I'm watching all these news stories flash across the newswire uh, about Anchorage that, um, well, it, I guess it's it's one of the reasons why I carry a gun all the time, because this place apparently is getting as dangerous as, I don't know, down, oh, probably not, but it feels like it's as dangerous as downtown L.A. Uh, Anchorage police are investigating two shootings uh, late on Sunday that left two people injured and were, they were reported about two and a half hours apart in separate locations. Both people who were shot reported that they did not see the shooter at all. No arrests have been made, um, and a spokesperson for the police department said that they, it's not known if the shootings are related. They both took place in East Anchorage and are about. they were about two miles apart. The first report came in about 9 a.m. on Sunday. A woman was walking in in the area of Creekside Park on East 6th Avenue when she was shot once in the upper body. She was transported to the hospital for treatment. It was not life-threatening, and she's, you know, pulling through. And they searched with a—they got a dog, they got a drone, they searched—they around. couldn't find anybody. They searched for—this is at 9 p.m. So they searched for about five, six hours trying to figure out where this, you know, where this shooter was. They couldn't find it. But halfway through the search, about 11.30 p.m., there's another report of a shooting. Uh, in the 700 block of Pine Street near Russian Jack Springs, that's about two miles, two and a half miles away, where a man was walking uh, on the street when he was shot in the lower body and then transported to the hospital for treatments of a wound also described as non-life threatening. And it's like, <clears throat> what the police department? I, I thought the, the police department response was kind of classic on this. They said, uh, ask if there was any danger to the public. The uh, police said uh, the spokesperson said, regardless of their location, citizens should always be aware of their surroundings, basically saying situational awareness is key. Like, don't be buried. Don't have your nose buried in your phone. You know, be paying attention that if you see something, say something. The public is asked to notify police immediately of any suspicious or criminal activities. Then a man and a child were injured yesterday. That was on Sunday. Then on yesterday. A man and a child were injured in a shooting uh, in the Mountain View area. They responded to reports of a shooting uh, North Lane uh, 500 block of North Lane Street just before 3 p.m. Um, in an update shortly after 4, they said multiple law enforcement units were responding to the area to help search for the suspect, including a SWAT unit, a unit, and a crisis negotiation team. Um, the victim, they said, uh, they believe an adult male fired at another man outside, striking him at least once the victim fled on foot with the suspect chasing him. Um, he entered a building and the suspect fired at least once more from outside. The bullet struck a small child inside the apartment. Uh, they were both taken to the hospital for treatment. Then the suspect fled the scene and the search for him is ongoing. They say they don't know if it's connected to the two shoot- shootings on Sunday. But reason number 413, why I carry a gun. I mean, this is, what's going on in Anchorage? I mean, what is happening? You know, there was another shooting last week. A woman shot somebody dead uh, over in Mountain View. Now, that's a rougher part of town, but still, what's going on down there in Anchorage? Again, I, I guess I'm just happy that I'm not living uh, in uh in, I guess, Los Anchorage, the big, the big city of, uh, of Alaska, because oof, who needs that kind of stuff on your mind? And yes, you should be aware of everything that's going on around you all the time. You should be constantly paying attention. It amazes me how many people, uh, wander around kind of in a fog, completely oblivious to their surroundings. That's, that's the, that blows my mind more than anything else it's not like i'm paranoid but i'm at least walking around understanding what's going on around me and you know eyeing people that give me the heaves you know what i mean oof it's uh, kind of crazy yeah anchorage has become another crappy liberal big city well i mean yeah i think it's just the big city part for sure Uh, I don't know what that means, but it's a there's a lot of stuff going on in Anchorage that I don't need to deal with right now. All right. Well, tomorrow we'll be joined by State Senator Mike Schauer may have another guest in the first hour. We'll see what we come up with today. Thanks for coming in and joining us. The Michael Duke show continues tomorrow. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. We'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, Red Silver over on Twitch says population density causes a lot of problems. I mean, I mean, between the divisiveness of what we're seeing over everything these days in politics and everything else and the anger and the population density. uh, Maybe that's true. But uh, yeah, and drugs are part of the problem. Sure, that could be that could be it as well. But uh, when you go forth today, I suggest you pay attention to everything around you and you go forth armed. That's always been, my, it's always been my argument as well. Thank you so much, my friends, for coming on board. Another great show, another great day. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. We will see you tomorrow.